Hi, this is Jasmine. Welcome to our podcast. And I'm Abby Jana, and this is Hello UX. We're a user-focused podcast aimed to help those pivoting into UX design. We are here to empower designers and help those transitioning into the UX field by providing education, resources, and a platform to talk about their experiences. For this podcast episode, Bootcamps Choosing Your Perfect Fit Part 2. Our intent was to go into detail regarding different websites which help you find your perfect fit by matching you to a UX bootcamp based on preferences you select. But after speaking to our guest Miguel, a current career foundry mentor and previously a GA instructor, we decided to instead focus on our interview. We found him to be such a wealth of information. Yeah, he had so much to share for students who are just starting a bootcamp. So instead, we'll be posting the website resources we found on our social media channels. So make sure to check those out, guys. Yeah. So let's begin part one of our interview with Miguel. Thank you so much, Miguel, for um, being part of our podcast for this episode. We are so grateful that you're here <laughs> and we're really excited to get started and just really to hear what you have to say. So can you introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much for having me both. I'm excited to be sitting down with y'all and chatting UX. My name, as you noted, is Miguel, and I am a UX strategist from New York City. I'm currently the UX strategy lead at NYC & Company, which is NYC's official destination marketing organization. But that is a very fancy way of saying uh, the tourism department of NYC. I'm also a UX educator, most recently having taught UX at General Assembly, and I'm now a UX mentor at Career Foundry, and I have started a community for UXers named the UX Come Up with my co-organizer. We're primarily a meetup group, but we also offer support and guidance to those coming up in UX. And then I also put together some YouTube videos talking UX for, for everyone. So if you're listening, definitely make sure to check those out after this conversation. Nice. Great. So, um, Miguel, can you go ahead and walk us through your journey of how you became a UX designer? Sure. So I definitely have a kind of a, an all over the place journey. So in high school, I took a class named JavaScript. And to be honest with y'all, I didn't learn any bit of JavaScript, but they, <laughs> they did teach us the basics of HTML and CSS, which introduced me to web development. And I was blown away. I thought that was so cool. And I really didn't know that there was a separate thing that was design. I thought that when you're coding something, you have to inherently think about how it's going to look. So uh, I just kind of continued down that path. I ended up, you know, exploring computer science as a college major. And then I, eventually I ended up working as a front-end developer, actually. And yeah. when I, yeah, and when I was starting to take web design a bit more seriously, that sort of led to UI design. And then I worked as a UI designer. And then when I took UI design very seriously, I started being exposed to UX design. So once I was exposed to UX design, I fell in love. I thought it was so cool. And at that time, boot camps weren't really a thing. So uh, I taught myself UX and learned everything that I could possibly learn. I read the books, watched the YouTube videos. I leaned on mentors for support. And a year after that, sort of training and just teaching myself, I started to find work. And then, you know, a few months after that, I got my first UX gig. And a few roles later, I'm now uh, the UX strategy lead at NYC and Company. So that's a bit about my journey. 
Yeah, that's a a pretty I feel like that's the standard UX journey where you start in one thing and then you realize your passion and then you kind of make that shift uh, from time to time and you teach yourself a lot more skills. That's really cool. Absolutely. Definitely. We have a lot of career changers. And I actually think that's that, that speaks a lot of what it means to be a UX designer. There are so many different skills and you know talents that relate because UX is so multidisciplinary. So you, know, you could easily have a background in such an unrelated field, unrelated being in quotes, mm-hmm. and apply those skills and talents to UX in a very seamless way or in a more seamless way than one would think. Yeah. Exactly. And so since you um, taught yourself UX, um, you said you also have a YouTube channel, The the Come Up? Yes. So the UX Come Up is primarily our meetup group. And, you know, we record the, the events, but we're also a sort of a career development support system for folks. And then on the side, I also have my own uh, YouTube channel, Miguel Makes, where I talk about more specific kind of topics for those on the come up. Yep. Oh, awesome. And so for people who are um, leaning towards the self-taught UX path, uh, what are some recommendations that you have for them? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing that I'd say is something that I mentioned in the video that I made uh, on this topic on my Miguel Mix channel, which is that learning UX on your own doesn't mean that you're learning UX alone. And I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions of or misunderstandings of learning, uh, teaching yourself UX. If you go into your UX self-taught, your self-taught UX journey, thinking that you're going to be learning UX on your on your own alone, excuse me, then I don't advise thinking that. In fact, because you don't have the benefit of being in a class or having access to a network, you have to go out of your way to make sure that you're collaborating as much as you can with others to make up for that. So to me, definitely finding yourself a mentor that you can lean on and reach out to. Perhaps you find someone else to learn UX with, Mm -hmm. uh, another person that's on the self-taught UX journey. And lastly, leveraging your network to find other folks in UX as much as you can. That's super important. But also, you can still take some kind of online course and learn from someone. So that's mm-hmm. kind of going back to what I was saying. You're, you're not meant to just be in a room for six months, not talk to anybody, not learn from everyone, <laughs> right. and just consume UX content. You can still learn from someone. I think it mainly just means you're not attending a UX program in a very formal capacity, but there are a ton of independent UX content providers to learn from, whether it's their masterclass or their YouTube videos cough cough. So yeah, learning UX on your own doesn't mean you're alone and that you don't learn from anyone besides yourself. So those are some starter recommendations that I'd say. Yeah, Miguel, so on your UX come up meetup, is that open to everyone? Like anyone that's interested in joining? That is open to anyone and everyone. All you have to do is answer a couple of questions. If you go to meetup.com slash UX come up, anyone can attend. All of our events are free. And actually, thank you for asking because I'll take advantage of this opportunity to advertise something that we're going to be doing starting in a couple of weeks, which is you're going to be able to go on our website, which doesn't exist right now. And find a time on our calendars for doing a UX review, a resume review, a portfolio review, or a mock interview. And 
we'll pair you with some other senior UX designer and you don't have to go with the whole LinkedIn back and forth, you know, trying to navigate that awkward conversation. You could just go right in there and find somebody to help you out. So we'll be doing that very soon. But yeah, open to anyone and everyone. And all of this is going to be free for always. Oh, that's awesome. That's so really I have a thought. Oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say that's a really big part of building a, the community, well, a UX community or, an, or a UX space for new UXers to really be able to flourish and grow and learn from their seniors, you know? So that's amazing. Absolutely. And, you know, there's some conversations that are happening around gatekeeping and that kind of stuff. And so I just, uh, I'm not for that, I think. As a senior UXer, I feel it's my responsibility to do everything that I can to help new UXers come up in UX and, you know, whether it's YouTube content, whether it's uh, spaces like like this one that, that y'all are making available or whether it's, you know, just making myself available to help others. I, I really just rather be at the forefront folks' uh, UX journey and yeah, I think it's really important that we bridge these two worlds because there is this weird, awkward separation that I think should not exist. That's a nice way of looking at it. And we did some healthy stalking <laughs> <laughs> on your YouTube channel. And I, I just think it's a great resource, you know, for anyone starting in UX design, at least good research to start. We noticed you have a template that has all these resources people can go ahead and look at. And so I'm, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this resource that you do have and you talk about there. For sure. Thank you so much for those kind words, Jasmine. So I definitely am targeting that super new UXer. Uh, for my YouTube channel. It's not for folks that are like me, that are more in their career. It's definitely for those that are starting out. And the videos that I have put so far have been for those that are either interested or learning. And one of the things that I feel there's not a lot of content on is the self-taught UX space. And so the video that you uh, came across from the healthy stalking, which uh, <laughs> I'm going to steal that from We you. like to do our research here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, call it investigative journalism. There you um, go. That's a way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, there's a bunch of resources out there for how to learn UX topics on learning different UX topics, but they're all sort of in chunks and they're all all over the place even one topic there could be you know 10 different medium articles explaining that one thing 10 different ways so uh, i wanted to i had envisioned this template and curriculum if you will sorry for the background noise and i've been a super huge fan of notion recently and so I was like, let me create a notion template that folks can duplicate, make their own and use to guide their self-taught UX journey. So on this template, I have, you know, the different topics that you may want to focus on and a way to keep track of your learnings and your journey. And it by no means has everything you should know. It is by all means a starter. I will definitely add on it over time, but I felt it was important for folks to have something to guide their self-taught UX journey because you only typically see a curriculum once you pay for a bootcamp, but you never really see one outside of, of a bootcamp space. So I thought it was important to put that out. That's yes. really great. And it's, and it's super helpful because I do remember when I was doing my research to join 
you know, UX bootcamp. Um, it was really hard to find anything that was really, that kind of gave me an in-depth definition of like, what would that journey look like for me? And so having like a resource like that would have been amazing. So it's great that you put something out there, of something out there like that. That's amazing. Thanks. I, I super appreciate that. And I really, truly hope it's it's valuable to folks. And, you know, I, I what you said even just an overview of, mm-hmm. of what's to come, you know, whether you're doing a boot camp or not. UX to some folks tends to be such a an abstract concept, especially early on, and just having that little preview of everything that's to come. I think it's something that we need more of. That's very true. So with that, I want to ask you, so what are some pros and cons to teaching yourself UX? So you've worked for General Assembly and, you know, now you're you're a senior in your field. Um, looking back on it, like what are some of the, you know, benefits and challenges that you face? For sure. And I'm also, uh, just to add on to that, I'm also most recently joined the career foundry team as a UX mentor. So I definitely have. Nice. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, congrats. Thank you so much. I said that to to kind of make the point that I have a lot of awareness and, you know, just experience with the bootcamp space in general. And then my experience as a self-taught UXer. And so this is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I think when it comes to the pros of teaching yourself UX, the main pro is definitely the flexibility and the customizability. So you can move at your own pace and tailor what you're learning to your own goals and ambitions. So Mm -hmm. obviously you would always want to learn all things in the UX process, but if you wanted to become a UX researcher and you knew that from the beginning, you would obviously tailor what you're teaching yourself to be more research oriented. So the flexibility, the customizability, I think are the obvious pros and then uh, perhaps the less obvious pros, but definitely one that most folks I think uh, will resonate with is the more affordable option. But it is super important to note that just because it's more affordable doesn't mean that it's free necessarily. So teaching yourself UX can still come at a cost. You may still want to pay for that independent masterclass from that UX designer that you really admire. You may still have to pay for the sketch license that typically you get a discount for when you join a bootcamp. So mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely the more affordable option because you're not paying that fee for the bootcamp or the UX program, regardless of what it is, but it doesn't mean that it's free. So those are, I think, some of the pros without you know, talking your ear off for too long. And then the con, (laughs) (laughs) I think on the flip side, the main con is that you don't have access to other folks when you're Mm -hmm. teaching yourself UX, like you would in a class, whether Mm -hmm. your instructor, your tutor or instructor assistant, and even your classmate, which is why I put so much emphasis before on not doing this alone. So when it comes to not having classmates, This is a con because so much of what it means to be a UX designer is collaborating with others, is working in a team, is knowing how to be a team player, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to definitely find ways to do this if you're going to be teaching yourself UX. And, you know, the obvious con uh, coming off of what I said when it comes to the pros of of, of teaching yourself UX, the obvious con is the cost. Uh, It may not be. Uh, for everyone, though, I will say that the you know cost of attending a college program that is focusing on UX or a boot, boot, a boot camp program, you know, those are I think investments. But I think that's why the boot camp world is so attractive to folks because it is a little bit more 
cost efficient than maybe you know that college program may be. But you know, it's important to note that there these are pros and cons that you have to weigh. I think even before you consider the monetary aspects, I think. You know there are de- very real pros and cons when you put the monetary aspects aside, and I would always recommend thinking about the non-cost related pros and cons first before you even think about the cost related pros and cons because I definitely think it provides a different perspective. Yeah, and 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 that like segue to that. What is something that you would like? What are some tips that you would give to pro? Prospective students that are considering going, you know, they've already been they're being accepted by bootcamp. What would be some tips that you would give these students? Sure, I love that question because there's not a lot of content out there on. Okay, I signed up for a bootcamp. Now what do I do? <laughs> right. Um, so I, I love that you asked that, and you know, I think that's a place for us as instructors. I wish more instructors put out content like that to prepare for folks for the bootcamp, and uh, I even think some of that content would be helpful for. Folks that are even considering a bootcamp to, you know, really know if that's the route that they want to go. So, for you know, some tips to plan your bootcamp experience, I think definitely getting ready to collaborate with your classmates that is so so important. I think just getting your mind right for being open, sort of getting out of your comfort zone, collaborating with others, working with others, presenting in front of others. I think the most the main thing that you could probably waste from a bootcamp experience is not taking advantage of those around you. And uh, one of those main things is your classmates. So getting to know them, getting comfortable with them and really taking advantage of the fact that you're going to be learning how to work with others when it comes to UX because you may have experience working with others in a non-UX related field, but working with others in a UX a capacity is completely different. So that's definitely my first tip just, you know, going into that program knowing that you're going to have to collaborate. And then also the second thing is I've been very surprised how few my students have taken advantage of me as an instructor and I mean really taken advantage not just asking classes but yeah. you know, asking them to meet on the weekend and chat about your UX goals. Uh, asking them to talk to you about their experience. There should not be this weird, you know, distance that you feel you need to keep in place with your instructor. They are there teaching you bootcamp uh, the class at a bootcamp because they are passionate because they have the experience and because they want to be there. So definitely know to take advantage of that instructor uh, who can teach you so much outside of the classroom and I know that they'd be willing to. And then also I would say to be ready to make the time for it. I think, you know, we have to do a better job as boot camp leaders to advertise that it's not just this quick little thing. I think that, you know, we should do a better job marketing that it is something that you're going to have to dedicate a lot of time to. So, whether it's the full-time uh, immersive boot camp tier or whether it's the part-time tier I think making sure that you have those two to three, four, five, six months clear. Yeah. No vacation times, probably. Just ready to dedicate that time because the other really important thing when it comes to boot camps is you get out what you put in. You yeah, could, exactly. you could make that a great experience, or you can make that a good experience. And the folks that make it a great experience put themselves in a position 
to leave that experience with more preparedness than those that just you know wanted to make it a good experience so those are some <laughs> beginner thoughts i hope that was okay yeah no yeah that i think all of them are like grateful like i was writing them down as you were talking about them and feel like we could use this for uh, putting it out there so that students think things through after when they're putting themselves there right in the position to be able to join a boot camp because I saw it as a teaching instructor how there were a few students that kept to themselves and they were not collaborating with others and you know in me in my mind I'm like do you know that that that's one of the primary things you're gonna have to do once you're done here you know like I just couldn't like make it like in my mind I was just I couldn't conceptualize how they were going to go out there and be a UX designer and they were not even practicing while they were there. Right. And it's definitely an adjustment for those that don't know that, which is why mm-hmm. these kinds of conversations were so helpful to those that maybe didn't know that before. And, you know, there's other people that take a boot camp, that sign up for a boot camp that are just seeing what UX is all about. So I definitely understand, you know, maybe some folks are a little hesitant at first, but once you see how collaborative UX is, I completely agree with you. You have to really shake out of that. And, you know, it's hard and I'm not trying to be, you know, insensitive to the fact that it is hard, but you're so right. Everything that comes with being a UX designer, it comes down to people, whether it's considering people, your users, whether it's considering people, your team mates, whether it's considering people, the stakeholders, or whether it's just putting together a story for people, whether it's for your product, for your process, or for, you know, getting buy-in. So um, it all comes down to people and sort of break that wall down or, you know, get comfortable talking to people. That's part of what you're paying for. Otherwise, you might as well just, you know, pay for some masterclass online and just sort of do it on your own in, in, in your room, right? So mm-hmm. it, if you think about it from that perspective, what you're investing in the in the bootcamp program, kind of wasting your money if you're not taking advantage of the social aspect of the bootcamp program. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely true. And I think for when you think of like UX, like the first thing, the first thing that should come to mind is human centered, you know? So we are, uh, everything we do is, is definitely about people. So when you have like students like that or um, a student who finds the collaborating with others or the reaching out to the instructors just to be really difficult, what are some ways that you help them navigate through that challenge or come out of their shell to be able to really take full, the full advantage of like the boot camp or or just the UX experience really. Do you guys like have a plan for that? For sure. I think it would definitely, you know, during my time at General Assembly, we have plans for that from uh, how you should handle this perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, though, as an instructor, aside from, you know, those prepackaged plans, for me, it comes down to practicing empathy in the same way that I would for my users, uh, you know, for my students. Mm-hmm. So there's always a reason why something is happening, especially during these crazy times. Maybe somebody is dealing with something at home or something. But the number one way that I try to account for this is by making the classroom such a fun and exciting environment. One of the things that I've noticed, and you know, I'm not talking poorly about other instructors because you know sometimes I feel that the 
the crap that we give boot camps, it, it kind of comes at the expense of all of the effort that so many instructors put into their classroom. So I, I do think, you know, we have to be a little careful when we do criticize the boot camps because there's so many other instructors like me that put so much time and energy into making that classroom, you know, really efficient. But aside from that, that point, uh, one of the other things that I, you know, prioritize is making sure that the classroom resembles the energy and the spirit of UX. So uh, I make it really my my focus and I make it a big goal of mine to make the classroom feel different. Uh, I don't want my classroom to feel like a lecture where I'm up there doing my thing for two hours and people are just listening. I try to make it very dynamic. I try to bring in my nine to five experience into the classroom as much as I can. I try to, you know, make that room feel like how you would feel when you're in the room at the company that you're going to be working on when you're in your team's room. So, you know, I've done really crazy things <laughs> during my time at GA. I've uh, brought in tacos. I've brought in <laughs> wine. I've brought in wine, which I probably shouldn't admit. Whoa. <laughs> um, you know, as an instructor, I really take that seriously, breaking down those walls. And I found that You know, I haven't had that problem a lot because I think that I'm doing, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I do think I'm doing a pretty good job at, and I have, I feel like I have done a good job at making everyone feel comfortable. So I don't think the onus is solely on the student. I do think it's on us as UX educators. And, you know, UX is to me one of the most exciting fields out there right now. So when we teach it, it should feel that way. And that's what it comes down to for me. That sounds so much fun. I feel like um, you're definitely right when it comes to um, making the space, the classroom space feel like what UX is, because that is, I just, I, I can imagine that because in during some, some of our lectures when with our GA instructors, there are some classes where I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to be in the real world. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because uh, the instructors helped me get excited about what I was doing, what I was learning and what to look forward to, you know? So that's really, that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this concludes part one of our interview. We'll now listen to a few words from our sponsor and then we'll dive into part two. Welcome back. And now let's begin part two of our interview with Miguel. So um, Miguel, during COVID-19, what are some changes that you've endured as like an instructor or as a mentor? Definitely. Thanks for that question, Abby. I, I definitely think that our entire UX education space has been disrupted as has everything mm-hmm. uh, by COVID and teaching remotely definitely has its challenges for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, at my at my GA you know bootcamp course, uh, my students were the first uh, that class specifically that class was the first to experience the shift. So mm-hmm. they had signed up for an in person course, but unfortunately they had to have experienced the course online, and, and they were the first class to do that at that time, or part of the first you know, a group of classes to do that. So um, it was definitely tough. I hadn't taught online before. 
I have mentored online, obviously, because people reach out to me on LinkedIn and I make myself available online. So I'm used to, you know, the Zoom calls and the Uber conference calls online when it comes to mentorship, but definitely wasn't used to that at all when it came to instruction and coming off of, you know, the last question, the last bit that we were talking about when it comes to, you know, how much we have to put as instructors into the classroom to resemble that energy. You know, it's very difficult to do that online. However, at the same time, my students specifically that class, at the end of the course, they felt very thankful to have had that class during the pandemic because they had something to look forward to. It felt more purposeful. And that's why I'd say just really quickly before I finish answering the question to anyone debating coming up in UX right now, I'd say do it. It's definitely a crazy time in general, but it could be a great time for new UXers to lock in and just, you know, learn and, and focus on their come up. But, you know, for me, one of the things that I did was I just tried to bring in those same tactic that I did in person to, you know, remote, I tried to bring that energy. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, when it comes to how we've all as how we as educators have pivoted to online, you know, we still kind of follow the same archaic strategies where it's just the person talking for two hours. And Mm -hmm. I think that's such a mistake, especially when everybody's at home and they're looking at their screen and it looks like they're looking, but they could easily be, you know, on the browser or on LinkedIn or doing whatever. So I think it's important to step outside of the driver's seat and let the students drive. So that's the main thing that I did that I think really helped. So I let my students, you know, lead some of the sessions. I, you know, really uh, focus on having them participate even more so than I had before. There's this feature on Zoom called breakout rooms. I let, you know, students interact not only, you know, in front of everyone in the classroom, but also amongst themselves in the breakout rooms. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely different, but it's definitely possible. And, you know, that was one of my uh, most successful classes that I've ever taught at GA. It was the, you know, the group of students that, the cohort that cohort that was online. So definitely challenging, but definitely possible. Right. And you're thinking, um, I'm sorry, Abby. Um, All right. <laughs> I'm also thinking like, we don't know how long this COVID is going to last. And so I think you do have to prepare your students, right? This is probably going to be the environment they're going to go into for mm-hmm. their first you know, work experience. So definitely being able to uh, navigate through Zoom, be able to troubleshoot right? When it's not working, yeah. all those are good learning skills to have. That's a, that's such a great point. And, you know, the other thing that I would say is uh, I think some boot camps from my experience, from what I know, they had an online option, but it was still the, you're doing it on your own watching videos option. Mm-hmm. And I think that COVID kind of opened up this other option, which is online, but a classroom online option. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's so cool because you're now not only limited, potentially, you're now not only limited to the folks that would uh, sign up, you know, within that area, but now you could potentially have somebody that's from the opposite side of the country or maybe the opposite side of the world in that same virtual class. And that, you know, to your point, Jasmine, that helps train you for working with people from all over the world in the real world. So I definitely think that's one of the positives to come out of this. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Also, as an instructor, I or I can see how just being just being in front of students for like two hours teaching a subject it it makes you think in a different way, which is also I can see being way better for the students long term because your instructor is having to improvise and has to think outside the box to make this an interactive or just like a a great class for you. So you are learning from someone who is also. <laughs> You know, it, the person setting the stepping stones for you to like, hey, when things happen, you just shift. You just think outside of the box and, and that's what UX is, you know? So I, I, I can see the benefits for, um, of it from that too. And I think that's really cool. I, I love that you said that. And I know we're not going to be talking about portfolios too much today, but just really quickly, the one thing that I notice that I notice as a hiring manager when I'm looking at portfolios is this notion of this project came together so perfectly and there not being clear evidence of what went wrong, mm-hmm. uh, what you struggled with. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to a portfolio and a case study, all students obviously want to make themselves look good because they want to make themselves marketable. Uh, that makes total sense. You want to, you know, sell yourself. You want to impress the people looking at your work. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that a new UXer can make is, you know, not acknowledging uh, that things don't always go according to plan as a UX designer. Sometimes you have to pivot. Sometimes you have to really struggle. Sometimes you have to do things over, maybe not even once, maybe a, a couple of times or a few times. In fact, as a professional UXer, I don't think I've had, I've ever had a project where everything went from A to Z perfectly. And, you know, your point is, 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 is really important because, you know, I, you know, if, I, if it came down to two people and they were both sort of equally talented, maybe one of them a little bit more so, but the other one had experience, you know, pivoting and navigating, you know, certain issues that may come about and knowing that it's not always going to be perfect. I may go with that one mm-hmm. because that person, excuse me, because they understand and mm-hmm. I'm going to worry about them less as a team member because I know that they have those, you know, those, those stripes. Um, so that's such a great point. Nice. Yeah. And I I feel like that's very important. You know, um, I think you have to get out of that comfort zone and work outside. Like what if some, you know, what if things don't go the way you had planned them? Right. And always be prepared to be able to quickly, uh, like you mentioned, and be a shift. Right. And and pivot. (laughs) And um, okay, so then this takes me to my next uh, question, Miguel. And Mm -hmm. it's more like, I guess we want to see, I guess, your take on this as far as like, can you share any trends? that you have seen with post-grad employment and satisfaction rates for those that do attend the boot camp? For sure. Uh, and, I, you know, I think this is a very um, reasonable uh, question. However, I don't have any specific data points or exact numbers, to be honest, but... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I haven't uh, done that analysis for my former students, but I will say that as a, for- as, a, as a current UX educator, excuse me, one of the things that I have seen is this expectation from students that they will definitely find a job after three months or even six months, or that they're supposed to find a job after three months or six months. And 
I'm not referring to the programs that have that job guarantee. I'm referring to the others. So let me take this opportunity to be very honest. Yeah. As, as someone who spends so much time helping new UXers come up in the field, and folks know, you know, me for this. And as someone who has had their own struggles coming up as well, I totally, totally get it. I truly do. It's very, very hard. It's hard in general. And then you add a pandemic on top of that. Oof, if you're listening and you're struggling, you're on the come up and you're like, when is my time you know, gonna come? I hear you, I feel you, I totally get it. And this is whether you're self-taught or going through a boot camp, but specifically for those that finish up their boot camp or are about to finish up their boot camp, I would look at the certificate as an indicator that you finished your program but not necessarily as an indicator that you finished your learning. So from my experience with my former students, I've seen many of them find jobs and many of them be very satisfied with their bootcamp experience. And of course, I do think it comes down to what kind of uh, instructor you have. But very rarely have I seen folks get a job the next day or, you know, it being very common that it happens in three months or six months. And I've especially uh, seen my former students find work when they don't stop working on their craft. So I think it's a mistake to just jump right into the job hunt right after the boot camp is over. And even when you start the UX job hunt, it's important to not stop working on your craft. For those struggling economically, I totally feel you, it's a hard time. But for those that may not specifically be struggling economically and are just super hungry and ready for their first UX gig, three months is not a long time or even six, that's not a long time. But but there is work out there. And I say that because I see a lot of posts on LinkedIn saying, I've been looking for three months and I haven't found any work, tier. I totally get it, I'm very sensitive to that, but it's not a long time. You have to continue to work. I think that just means you're not ready. And that means that you have to keep working on your craft. So that is how I would look at the post bootcamp experience. And that has been my experience with my former students. And, you know, my, this is what I preached to my former students. And most of them, a lot of them, you know, they continue chatting with me after the bootcamp is over and I'm more than happy to do so. And I've seen them have a lot of success, but that's because they were willing to continue to put in that work after the boot camp. I actually wanted to uh, go further into that because I, um, so when you say that like the, you know, three to six months is not a very long time, um, I definitely do um, agree with that. And so I guess like my follow-up question to that would be like, so as a, for me, for example, I'm gonna speak from my own experience. Um, So for me, like I am a person who did not get a job straight out of of the boot camp. And I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, you have to further your craft and continue your craft, right? Because that's the only that's the only way you're gonna gain experience. You're gonna like find what you're good at, what you're not good at, and you're and you just like it's just like life. You have to keep learning. You have to keep moving. And I've met a couple of uh, of people who are kind of like like in my in my situation also, where it's like, okay, it's been three months. You you keep going. It's been six months, okay, and you're like, oh, something has to change. I'm going to meetups, and I'm this is pre pre COVID, of course. I, I'm going to meetups, I'm meeting people, I'm having coffee meetings, I'm working on my portfolio and adding more content on there, um, but I'm also having a lot of portfolio reviews, and you're still not 
getting in the door or like not even getting in enough where it's like you can even get an interview and so then you know I'll go back to the board I'm like okay cool what what is there what 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 do I do next so let's work on my resume is it the wording I need to have more numbers to show like you know quantity quantity wise like what my impact is, is 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 having on the projects that I'm working on and also you know, freelancing on the side. So trying to get the more experience that everyone tells you that you need to get. And so fast forward to like a year (laughs) and still nothing post-graduation. What do you, what would you say for a student like that? Because I know for me, I've had multiple conversations where with my, with my career advisor, where I'm like, Hey, you're telling me to do A, B, C, and D. I've done A, B, C, and D, E, F, G, and H. I've done it all. (laughs) So what are the next steps for me? If that's, if I can ask you that. Absolutely. I will say, Abby, that I don't think most folks are doing A, B, C, D, you know, and all the other letters. Um, I, I definitely commend you for confidently owning that because I don't think that that's the case for most folks. What I see is most folks only focus on the job hunt, understandably so, because the job hunt on its own is a full-time job. So, yeah, so I totally get it, you know, when, when they just focus on that. But I think it's a mistake to only focus on the job hunt. I think most folks are not, you know, many folks are doing a lot of those things or some of those things or this one and that one and the other one and the other one. But I think, you know, it's very overwhelming to think about having to do all of those things. So I I definitely want to start with that empathy first and foremost. I think one of the, from my experience, what I've seen, it it comes down to, to two things. And you kind of alluded to the first one to one of them but the first that i would say is storytelling you have to get your ux story straight you have to know what you want to do in ux so too many people just want to become a ux designer but not enough people think about making their dent in society through ux design and what i mean by that is the goal shouldn't and in some cases can't only be i want to become a ux designer Mm-hmm. It should be, what are you passionate about? What really means a lot to you? Maybe do you have a hobby? Mm-hmm. Maybe is there an issue that you're passionate about? You know, this year, there's a lot of that we can focus on. <laughs> is there, you know, a certain industry mm-hmm. that, that you're passionate about? And thinking about those things and crafting what your story is. So it's not just, you know, what you sometimes see from the portfolios, which is I'm a UX designer. I care about human-centered design. Mm-hmm. I'm the ally of the user. You you know, everyone, that's everyone who's a UX. Anyone who has UX, those two letters as in their title, that's all of y'all, right? So yeah. you have to think about what is your focus, which is what I call your UX focus. Is it research? Is it design? Maybe it is a generalist. Okay, cool. If it's a generalist, what is your UX superpower? Is it design systems? Is it prototyping? And then from there is what is what is your UX interest? What is your industry interest? Maybe it's you're interested in flowers. Okay, Miguel, but how am I going to redesign the UX of flowers? That's not what I mean. What I mean is maybe you could think about marrying your passion for flowers and ux and and so then you can aspire to maybe become a ux designer at 1-800-flowers.com 
because they have a website and I'm pretty sure they have a UX team. So, you know, I think the number one thing that folks lack when they have done all of these things or many of these things and they're still not getting results is they don't have a focus. And what happens is what I think Elise UX coined as the spray and, and, and pray technique, mm -hmm. which you're just applying everywhere. So if you send out 100 applications to all of these places and five get back to you, right? That's, that's a 5% success rate. But if you make your journey very intentional around your UX focus, your UX superpower, your UX interests, your industry interests, et cetera, et cetera, and you put yourself in a position where you can speak to companies more directly because you have that focus and you have expertise in that focus and you only apply to 10 and two get back to you, that's a 20% success rate. So it is definitely about working smarter, not always working, working harder, yes, but working yeah. <laughs> harder as well. And I, for me, that comes down to your story, getting that story straight. For example, if you wanna work at Spotify, you should probably have some music related work on your portfolio, exactly. right? Yeah. So that you can make that connection with the other side. And so, you know, it, it, that, and that leads me to my, my last point, which is we can't all aspire to work at Facebook as a product designer. We shouldn't all aspire to work at, you know, Twitter as a, you know, UX designer. And I'm probably messing up my, any potential connections. That can <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that, but, you know, I believe in being very real and, you know, too many people are only applying to the same three jobs and so of course there's saturation there but take me for example i work at nyc and company new york city's tourism department i'm pretty sure everyone listening has never heard of that or thought of that in conjunction with ui so there's so many of these very niche spaces that are so exciting combining interest and intention with your skills in ux i think is the way to go and then the other only other thing that i would say is just lack of experience especially right now during COVID, you could easily walk down to the corner, you know, mom and pop shop to that small business that is struggling and say, hey, can I help y'all, you know, with your UX for your website to help your business? I don't want any money for it. Let me just help y'all. You know, I need some experience. I feel like I have something to offer you. Let's work together. And then you have that stakeholder experience. You have more experience. And, you know, I, I think it's a combination of those two things. I don't know if that was, you know, very helpful, but that's how I see it. Yeah, I think that was really helpful. I think I've had this, I've asked um, multiple people this, the same question. So like, you know, I'll, I'll usually get answers like, yeah, you should volunteer or you should become, um, you know, focus on being one type of designer versus just like a general designer. But I think the way that you put it makes it more, it's like more, more empathetic <laughs> in a way where it's like figure out what your interests is and, and and see if you can mesh that with UX or um, see how you can like better your community and, and and mesh that with UX. So I think that's that's a really great answer. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. So um, earlier, Miguel, you mentioned something about the gatekeepers and mm. um, on our and on our um, podcast, diversity and inclusion is something that we definitely want to tackle in the future, just because we're both women of color and we're, you know, new and trying to get further into our careers in UX. So um, as a Latino male, do you feel any way impacted by the lack of diversity in the UX field? Absolutely. So uh, thank you for asking this very important question. First, I would, I would just say that I view 
the gatekeeping situation uh, to be problematic on its own, you know, outside of diversity and inclusion. So, but I totally understand, you know, the connection you were trying to make for me, gatekeeping is very problematic. And I'm going to say something that may get me in trouble in the future, which is that, you know, it's time for a different way to, uh, you know, come up in UX. And I don't think that folks are ready for that new way. And I think it's time for, you know, the, the folks that have paved the way for us because we still need to be thankful for their, them paving the way. But I think it's time for, you know, us to come together as opposed to create, you know, this division on purpose. It's not helping anyone. As Jay-Z said, nobody wins when the family feuds. So, so you know, I, quite frankly, I, I feel like using tasteless words when it comes to how I think about this, but you know, we just we just got to stop with the gatekeeping for the sake of gatekeeping. It's not, you know, those that are doing it, it's not helping their cause. And, you know, it, those that are, uh, you know, like me, you have this stance against it. I think, you know, we want to be part of the solution, not add to the problem. And then when it comes to diversity and inclusion, you know, th- like I said, this is an important question. First, I feel I definitely feel the lack of diversity, yes, in UX, but also in general in the corporate professional world. I'm oftentimes the only Latino in the company, regardless of what company that is. Mm -hmm. So I do feel a responsibility to be a voice in UX and to help make up for the lack of representation uh, across the professional spectrum in, in the United States. I definitely think this is such a great time for diverse voices in UX to rise and make their splash in the industry. Though there are many Latinos or people of color in general in UX, it's not like they're all at the same company, right? So oftentimes I'm the only UX practitioner of color at an Oregon. That definitely has its challenging. This is challenges. This is definitely something that I feel incredibly passionate about. And one of the things uh, it makes me think of is I didn't even know what UX was growing up because my high school or my middle school or whatever, you know, in Brooklyn that were, you know, oftentimes underfunded, they didn't expose us to, you know, those things. I didn't have that uncle that was growing up as a UX designer, like my nephew will with me. So uh, in the very, very near future, I hope to do more to spread the good word of UX to younger and more diverse audiences to try to add more diverse voices to the UX table. Basically, yeah, yeah that's all. You, you you wrapped it up pretty pretty nicely. Um, I definitely agree with you. Um, Jasmine and I have this conversation a lot where we talk about the lack of diversity and how like, I think for me, like I see the idea of the, the gatekeeper, the lack of diversity being two, one in the same in a way where mm. sometimes the people who are being the gatekeepers are, are doing it in a way because they're not aware of their biases, <laughs> you know? Mm. And, um, and so that's then for minority UX designers, it's a, it's your you have to jump through all these hurdles. I was talking to a, another senior UX designer a couple of days ago, and he was telling me how like for, sometimes for sometimes for people of color when it comes to UX, what some people will deem as acceptable for you know your your white counterpart, they expect five times more from a um, a new UXer coming in. So like they expect as a black woman, they would expect me to be at the level of like mid to senior to be able to fill an entry-level role or something like that and so he said that in his experience he had seen a lot of that and it always baffled him and I was like wow (laughs) I've never thought about it in that way 
Absolutely. Oh my God. That's such a great, you know, those are great points. You know, going off of that, you know, sometimes you're expected to have all of this preparation, but also sometimes when you come from, you know, a certain place like me, I would never have been able to even attend a boot camp because Mm -hmm. my parents probably wouldn't have been able to, you know, afford that. So, you know, how do we manage the imbalance of, you know, even potentially putting yourself in a position to be prepared or, you know, be exposed to these things. So I definitely think that we have to take all of these things into consideration. And what you said about, you know, biases, that's super on point. One of the things that is really interesting to me to think about is we oftentimes create products for certain audiences. And, you know, the people behind the making of those products don't reflect the people that they're for. So, and this is, this is such an important topic. It's one that I'm so passionate about. And I don't even want to say, especially because of this year, because this topic should be relevant every year. Um, But Mm -hmm. what this year has done is made it so that folks want to have this conversation more. So we, we should take advantage of that momentum. And I think it's up to us, you know, as diverse voices to make sure that the momentum of that conversation does not go away and that we keep advocating for, you know, women to have more of a say in UX uh, so that we continue to advocate for Latinos to have more of a say in UX so that we definitely advocate for, you know, more Black Americans to have a say in UX. And the benefit of that will only benefit our users even more. So if we really want to be empathetic and human centered and user driven, you know, we, we should definitely prioritize this as an industry in a way that I don't think is being done systemically as an industry or as a whole, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm here, companies creating and producing products, but it's not reflected of the community that is using it. And, you know, how do you account for that? You know, and you look at the UX team and yeah, where's where's the diversity? You know, yeah, I, I, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, a diversity shouldn't be something that's just like trending. You know what I mean? Yeah, and <laughs> that, and that takes us to another thing we always talk about. Like right now with Hispanic uh, Heritage Month coming up, you know, Abby and I we typically say like it's not fair that why why can't this be a celebration of all the time, right? Like how yeah. come it's just this time frame? We you know, like we say, well, we'll take it, right? If it's a, a a time frame that everybody has this in mind well we should make the most of it yeah exactly i i completely agree i'll I'll take a month for us to be celebrated you know (laughs) for sure and we should definitely have i think spaces where we reflect and acknowledge the contributions of a certain you know group of people to society but at the same time you know to your point that celebration and that acknowledgement and that respect shouldn't be confined to the parameters of you know a 30-day month and So what that also leads me to is even just, let's take away race out of it for a second. Even if, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, At NYC and Company, we recently redesigned our neighborhoods experience. And, you know, we were putting together the page for the neighborhood that I'm from in Brooklyn, which is Sunset Park. Mm -hmm. And the um, head of editorial reached out to me to see what you know what kind of thing should be on that page because i'm from sunset park you know if he had just done it himself it probably would have been okay but 
it was more intentional and it was better that he tapped me in to see what kind of editorial content should be on that page because I'm from Sunset Park. So I think that oftentimes it kind of, you know, people get defensive when, you know, when we talk about it in conjunction with race for whatever weird reason. But, you know, even take that example. <laughs> it's, it's just about being reasonable, you know, if, if you're designing for a certain type of person, you know, I don't understand the struggles of even other people of color and other people of color may not understand my struggles as a person of color, you know? So it's just, I think, you know, I would love to, uh, if y'all would have me back and we have another conversation just on this topic, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm super passionate about this and it, it, it's just, you know, to your point, Abby, it's not just trendy. It, this is just important. And mm-hmm. I think it's ironic yeah. for us as UX practitioners to not prioritize this. And it's actually counter to everything that we preach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Miguel, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. You've been, wow, wonderful, a valuable source of information and touch upon a lot of things that I, you know, I think it was more than what Abidjan and I were thinking we were going to get. But I mean, I think our listeners, this podcast, they're going to find a lot of valuable information that they'll be able to go back and, you know, look for themselves. And I, I think this is awesome. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Thank Thank, you. I I was just going to thank you back and and say that I I wanted to make another point here just really quickly, which is, you know, y'all from my uh, healthy stalking, you know, I I can see that it's not too long ago that y'all were in the middle of your come up, your individual come ups. And one of the things that I think is so important and so admirable about what y'all are doing is you don't have to be a UX strategy lead like I am or a senior UX designer or the director of UX to put out valuable content about UX. And I think that, you know, I just wanted to say this on the episode, which is that if I were coming up in UX, I would take notes from what y'all are doing. I know, you know, it's not just y'all two, but specifically because I'm having a conversation with y'all. What Jasmine and Abby are doing is so, so great because What they're doing is not only creating community, not only putting out great content, but they're also putting out stuff that reflects well on their own (laughs) UX ambitions and opportunities could potentially come from this, though I know that's not why they're doing it. But one of the things that I find so important is that the resume of 2020 is content and, you know, putting out content is just so, 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 so important. And so I applaud you all for doing this, for doing this. And of course, Thank you for for having me. I've had such a great time talking with y'all. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and so and now for the fun question, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? I'm. Oh, I've been ready since you okay. said fun question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the question is. Star Wars or Star Trek and why? Uh, oh, you're going to get me in trouble. This is where my reputation goes down. <laughs> the hardest question of the day. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I can't answer that question. Well, why not? Because I'm not educated enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair. Okay. Fair. I was going to say, don't feel bad because not <laughs> a, like maybe two months ago, three months ago, I, 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 I became educated. I became a, you know, believer in both. So you know how you'll ask somebody about something and they'll just pretend to know it and it'll be, oh yeah, 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 right. Um, yeah. Of course. <laughs> 
I'm not like that. I'm, I'll be very straight up and admit when I don't know something, even if it makes me look look bad. If you had asked me Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, I would have gone off. Okay, <laughs> well, let's, let's do that then. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure, Steve Jobs, without a doubt. <laughs> Why? Um, you know, I, I, he obviously was a, a flawed human being, um, like we all are. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like Michael Jordan was, but um, there's a reason why they were able to achieve greatness and um, and also make it so that those around them produce greatness. And and, and that's what I think it, you know a, a great UXer is a leader, which is you know not only do you aspire for you know the best possible product, but you inspire those around you to create great products. And you know th- that is how I've modeled my UX career, and that's why I. You know, take uh, take so seriously being a UX leader because I've been inspired by that example, and you know, just the selflessness of UX, which is it's not just about your ideas; it's also about enabling others to come up with their own, and then together putting together something that is hella great. Yeah, <laughs> nicely said. I love that. Yeah. Well, Miguel, we cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for your time for your wisdom, for your kind words, your motivation. You're doing it all. (laughs) Just thank you. Thank you so much. And um, definitely uh, stay tuned for the next episode because Jasmine and Abby are doing it right. And also definitely check uh, me out everywhere at Miguel Makes. I'd be more than happy to not just you know, be a content provider. But I wanted to say, if anyone is struggling, uh, you know, Abby, uh, Abby, you mentioned uh, some struggles that you had. If there's any other one, other people out there that, you know, I could you know, advise or help, please don't uh, hesitate to reach out. I'd be more than happy. Definitely. Thank you. I will definitely Thank reach you. out to you. And <laughs> sharing all of your Instagram and, um, and well, all of your social media information. So definitely check that out, everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. This was such a fun and informative interview. I had a blast. Yeah, for sure. Miguel, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Miguel. What do you guys think? I can't wait to hear your feedback. That's it for episode two. Don't miss our next episode. (laughs) Abby, Abby, that's a little too convincing. Well, we've all had our share of bad experiences in the workplace. If you'd like to share your story, anonymously that is, send us a message on social media or just email us. Before we leave, I would like to invite you to like us and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our Pinterest page and look over our UX boards with tons of pins related to UX design. Check out our YouTube channel and view our curated playlist with videos related to UX design and processes. And now you can even access our podcast there as well. If you would like for us to cover a specific topic or you're just dying to give us feedback, send us a message via our social media channels or send us an email to info at hellouxdesign. I'll repeat that. Info at hellouxdesign. And lastly, subscribe to our podcast available on all major streaming platforms. Shout out to our sponsor, Overflow Digital, a digital agency specializing in all your professional website needs. We aim to create dynamic websites that will positively impact your business, meeting you at the crossroads of data, design, marcom, and UX. 
Since we touched upon lack of diversity in this interview with Miguel, I'll leave you with the Steve Jobs quote. A lot of people in our industry haven't had very diverse experiences, so they don't have enough dots to connect, and they end up with very linear solutions without a broad perspective on the problem. The broader one's understanding of the human experience, the better design we will have. Amen to that. Okay, guys. Well, this was it. Goodbye. Bye, guys.